0: Father Anthony, Father Harrison. Did you know Eve makes apple juice, <laughs> and would you do that thing that Adam do, or, or would you say, "Baby, I'm let's put sure. it back on the tree"? Because
1: we have everything we. Because we have
0: everything we need.
1: <laughs> That's so lame. Oh my gosh. So. And yet, awesome. Oh yeah, no, no, it's awesome. We're lame. So we're very excited, and and here here on clerically speaking, we fully support uh kanye's ongoing conversion experience and we yes. we are very excited about this and we'll eventually going to do an episode where we break down that entire album and it's going to be awesome because exactly. you're going to have two maybe three white people doing this and it's <laughs> going to be something real special <laughs> real special
0: it will it, hopefully it'll it'll happen but yeah it i gotta it's, I, I just wanted to talk about this for a bit because i thought it, that was the highlight of my week last week yeah was listening to that album. Uh, I haven't listened to pop music in a long time. Outside of like Mumford and Sons. And. Um, to hear something. It's been interesting seeing him go. Like talk to him. Like he's been doing more interviews. And you know people have doubts about his conversion. But I'm like do you what though? He's used the medium well. To proclaim the gospel. Yeah. And whether. How authentic it is for him. Is another question. But who is not against us is right. for us
1: and here's the thing people like right. worry that if like kanye somehow uh unconverts or something it's not gonna make god mm-hmm. any less god it's not gonna make the truth any less exactly truth. and uh yeah it, it was interesting because I was, I was listening to the album and i'm like a huge kanye yeah. west fan there are a few tracks i have on my ipod or whatever from him um but yeah. uh it it's kind of refreshing because it feels like he's not trying to make christian music it seems like so often Praise exactly, and worship exactly, music yes. and Christian music has like an agenda to sound crazy yeah. or whatever. And he's just yeah. kind of doing his own thing. And it, it comes across as very genuine. And some, li- yeah. and some of the lyrics I have a little bit of a problem with here and there. Um, yeah. I think he might be leaning a little bit toward prosperity gospel here and there. Yeah. But, th- but that'll be fun. That'll be fun and good to talk about, right? So we're going to give him some uh, ra- uh, writings by St. Basil. And we're going to send I, it... Uh, I mean, how, is, there, is there any any better line than you might chick fil it I mean, it's it's just so silly and fun i like it
0: they say the weak start on monday but the strong start on sunday
1: <laughs> it's delightful it's delightful so uh if you haven't checked it out check it out and uh maybe message our yeah. um twitter account see what you think about it but we're gonna try to do that uh episode in a couple weeks here but I, I
0: agree like when i was listening to this album i thought to myself this is probably not his best best album i mean you listen to some older kanye and you think it, it gets it's 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 pretty mm-hmm. slamming. Um, it's not his best album. There's some songs like there's some neat lyrics and ideas in it, but the songs are kind of yeah. whatever. However, um, the when I was listening to this, I thought to myself, "This is what I wish authentic praise and worship would be like." In what way? Well, in the sense of like it's it's arti- it's artistic expression of faith. Yeah instead of we have we have this three-step formula we all have to follow if we're going to do if we're going to do church right, right, music right, right. you know um essentially praise and worship is uh is the it's the un uh, I'm trying to I want to make sure I don't sound too cur- uh, cr- uh, crude you have, here, you have
1: offended people before with your praise and worship well, takes. I know I know <laughs> It's not
0: bad, but i'm just but I guess it, it's 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 like the Gregorian chant of mega churches, except not nearly as good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but it's just formulaic it's so formulaic um it, it, the rhyming makes no sense, and this music like it actually made my heart sing like that litany in water it's delightful, isn't it like i I'm like, yeah praise him jesus be our strength jesus heal our bruises like all this stuff I'm like yes jesus do this except for the jesus bring us wealth
1: it depends i choose i choose to interpret that spiritually choose the wealth of grace yes exactly that's how i choose to interpret it <laughs> Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Like every once in yeah. a while, I just need to blast oceans in my car and do some real cheesy, real cut and dry praise and worship stuff. I think there's a place for that. Right. But I think the market Absolutely. becomes but- saturated and it gets a little tiresome. But like when you have someone like uh, like what Kanye does, what Mumford and Sons do, um, there's yeah. another. I'll think of the band in a second. There are guys, uh, people who kind of just weave christian themes into their music and they're just making good yeah. music coming from a christian yeah. place and that's i think we need more of that yeah. for sure
0: and i think that's what we need more of right and it, it really i want to do an episode on culture because this album and the joker movie have been like a moment of like a it's been like an intellectual watershed moment for me about the idea of culture i like it you know what i've i've threaded a bit about it but i thought i apologized to you on twitter about you did that. Said you did I, <laughs> You said, save the content for the podcast. I'm like, I, I can't help myself. I can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> I gotta get it out. You are my Chick-fil-A. Stop. But more importantly, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm
1: Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. <laughs> I guess I yeah. Chick-fil-A Yes yeah, so we're gonna start just yelling that to our friends. Chick-fil-A
0: I'm gonna be yelling that at a few people next week at Notre Dame for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So. Just just
1: as as people like congregate for the Chick-fil-A When you see someone the first time like Chick-fil-A <laughs> Like you're lost in the woods and trying to find your friend, and you start yelling Chick-fil-A! <laughs>
0: It's been a long month, folks. We need to yeah. We're like we're a little bit broken. I feel like today.
1: Okay. So uh, speaking of 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 like oh my segue was a few minutes ago, but people said yeah. nice things about us. They did. So uh, over on Catholic TV, which is like which is it's called Catholic TV, and basically it's Catholic TV for cool kids. And uh, our friends Tommy Tai and Steve, uh, formerly known as the Missionary, had their episode of Repentance and Submit TV. Yep. Yeah. And they last night. last night, and they said something nice about us. They were like, Hey, this like, podcast really nice. is really good. And I was like, I mean, it is, right? But thanks for saying so.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, it was, the, the, the sentiments were very sweet. And and their show is really good, too. I really, I, I, they have a, fun, I, I like how they have a lot of fun with Catholic stuff. It's, uh, it's a fun show. I have the Catholic TV app on my Apple TV. Yeah. So I can just, I can never watch it live because I'm almost always in a meeting or something like that. But when I get home later, I can just throw it on and eat some dinner and and watch it. And it's great. And they, they have a great rapport with each other. And yeah, it was like a when I saw it on Twitter, I'm like, we got mentioned on a TV show? Yeah that's kind of cool. And you can just so, yeah, God, yeah.
1: You can just google You guys should check out their show. Oh yeah yeah. You can just google catholictv.org it's free. Yeah. You can watch uh, all yeah. the shows. But really you can stream it online. You can get the app on your phone. Yeah. You can get the app on the TV. Yeah. And like the show it's fun and it's light and mm-hmm. it's refreshing. There's some good stuff in there. And uh, yeah. it's a very pleasant 27 minutes. So if it you're is. bored after uh, if you feel like a, a hole in your heart after you listen to our podcast and you want some other good catholic content, you could do worse than go over to catholictv. They've got some good stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, he didn't have TV to proclaim his writings. But let's go into the Summa Tweetologica.
1: Summa Tweetologica. That was the worst transition ever. It, it, but it is what it is. You could have said something about he didn't have TV, nor did he. Have, I know. I was like, tweets. I was gonna go somewhere. And I, yeah, you know what? Yeah. You know what? We're just gonna keep on plugging away, Father Harrison. We got this. We're, we're on getting on warmed away. up. You know what? You cannot be perfect every week, folks. <laughs> you cannot be perfect every <laughs> no, week. No, this is great. We're we're getting warmed up. I'm feeling good about it. Let's do some tweets. Amen. Uh, So
0: uh, the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So let's get into the fun stuff here. Uh, From Matt Boo Ed, at Two Apostles Name, the litany of the saints is a Halloween carol sent tweet. And I just thought that, amen, because we all know, as we all know, Halloween is traditionally known as All Hallows' Eve, which means it's the vigil of all saints, the hallowed, the saintly. Hallowed is an old English word to talk about the saints. Hallowed be thy name. You know, holy, saintly be your name is, is the root of the word. So he's just saying the litany of the saints, which is the that great litany that we hear at ma- like masses of ordinations, for example, or uh, at confirmations of baptisms is he's saying that is a halloween carol and i just thought amen so that's all i thought
1: about yeah it. so this is what i want this is what i want it'll be too late because this podcast will come out uh on all saints day which is the day after halloween but next year I know there are plenty of of Catholic families listening to this. You got all your little kids. I want them all dressed up as saints, trick or treating, chanting the litany, converting your whole neighborhood, gathering candy as a reward. I want to see the church militant, running through the the streets, celebrating the church triumphant. In a militant way. Yes. Yes. Chanting as you go the litany of the saints. That's what I want to see. Saints Peter and St. Paul. Pray for us. All
0: you holy men and women,
1: pray for us. Okay, so that would be a cool state to yeah, see. Yeah, right. Let's do it. Okay, so this is from Michael Gormley. I think he does. I think he does some podcasting. I don't know. He's at <sighs> Lea Evangelist. I, I, I think I've seen him around. Anyway, he's got how he has such a large beard. How could you see him? That's true. He's he's hidden behind his large beard, which <laughs> you know, respect. Anyway, he says Kanye mentioned Jesus more times in his new album than the bishops did in the entire Amazon Synod. And I've seen a few different takes that are basically the same thing, and it's not untrue. So here's the thing: here's the thing. A lot of times, people will be like, "In order to sound pious, like, well, why haven't we? Why haven't we talked about Jesus? Why haven't we said Jesus's name?" And like, if you're in a meeting at your parish where you're discussing that you need to replace a boiler because it broke in the school, like, you don't necessarily need to say the name of Jesus like twelve times or anything. So sometimes we right. go overboard with that, but ah. Mm-hmm. So normally I try to be kind of very tempered with my takes on what's going on Great. in the Church Universal because we have to see what's going on. Uh, you want to not create confusion or generate anger for no reason. But just to, just to say what I feel, the whole Amazon Synod was one big goofy event. There was goofiness in, what they, in the document, there's goofiness around it, there's silliness in everyone commenting. It was just a big silly thing and I'm glad it's over. And
0: who knows what the fruit will be, but guess what, folks? Maybe an uh, apostolic exhortation will be proclaimed. It won't It won't really change anything, and like all exhortations, it'll fall into the uh, depths of, uh, of documents that people don't read. Right,
1: so basically, just so, you know. Don't worry about it. The synod, basically, they'll have a document, they give it to the Pope. They're like, hey, this is what we talked about, and this is what we think. And the Pope will be like, hey, here's some things, but he's not going to change anything. I just really doubt that anything's yeah. going to change. So, don't let yeah. this keep you up at night.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, this is from at Ross Duthat. Uh, opinion writer for the New York Times. Um, he wrote this article that I just came over across today, actually. A little thread on it on Twitter. And, and it might be worth... Uh, it might be worth doing a whole episode on this. Mm-hmm. But he he has a whole article that he tweeted about the overstated collapse of American Christianity. And essentially, th- this is the summation of the article. Things aren't as bad as we think they are. Okay. Things aren't as... So, He, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stats. I encourage you to look it up. Uh, just uh, look up Ross's Sunday column. It's there. Uh, it's... It, his whole point is that, yes, there was a collapse, but the collapse was... People who were like born in the thirties and forties and or like the late forties, early fifties, like the boomer generation, for example, there was a collapse there. Mm-hmm. But they never stopped being called Catholic.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. The level of practice, in fact, has increased with millennials and Gen Xers. Right. Which is of interest. It's just those who don't practice also don't call themselves Catholic. Mm-hmm so the boomers yeah i'm just using i'm using the term as like a statistical term not as a not as derogatory a, like okay, not derogatory, <laughs> yeah. like okay boomer yeah <laughs> uh, um, no i'm using this as a statistic- this is a term to to define a generation of people right so uh just it's not meant to be derogatory here um the idea though is that we, the, the boomers though tend to still affiliate as Catholics, even though they don't practice their Catholicism. And so the stats start to look very skewed. Mm-hmm. I just found it really interesting because I don't know about you. I find there's, we see a lot of stats from people about, about a lot of bad things that are going to happen to the church in 10, 20, 30 years. But my, my experience of like, for example, our generation of, of, of Catholics were pretty on fire. Yeah. There's there's young families in the church. There's going to be different levels of commitment, but that's always been the case. And maybe things just aren't as bad. I think—I don't think we've hit the worst part of it yet, honestly, yeah. because the people born in the war generation, the, in the next 10 to 15 years as they pass on, mm-hmm. we'll see it, a greater decline in some places, like like in my town. Yeah. In 10 years, if there's not any population increase in this town of families, this, this church will be a mission parish.
1: Yeah.
0: But that's not the case everywhere. There are other places. Like, uh, I know uh, I know dioceses that are opening new churches every year, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, like, maybe maybe things aren't as bad as we think they are. It's just there are demographic shifts due to economies and where jobs are. So, people move. And people aren't as stable as they are nowadays. But what happened with the sixties is essentially got rid of a lot of people who were nominally Catholic. Yeah. And, but the rest of the people stay, like he's saying, like he, his argument is a little bit, essentially that essentially there's a third of people who are fervently Christian in in America. And that is probably pretty close to what the number, the percentage was prior to the fifties. Yeah. So, and so things maybe aren't as bad as we think they mm -hmm. are.
1: And yeah, I agree with that partially um, cause there mm-hmm. are, I mean, so in my parish, we have seven parishes, which were declared one parish last summer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're working on consolidating this and figuring out how to do this because in five years or so there'll be one parish, there'll be one priest basically for our entire county. So there's right. definitely a vocations problem. And while we have a good number right. of people in the seminary, it's going to be a while before our numbers go back up. Yeah. So there's stuff like that for sure, yeah. but there's also a lot of renewal, uh, moments and renewal movements sorry, renewal movements happening in the church. There's a renewal of exorcism (laughs) ministry and diocese is getting better mm-hmm. at that there's a renewal in youth ministry everything that life teen has done and other um, mm-hmm. there's re- like with focus missionaries there are different renewal movements going uh, movements going on with with them uh, there's yeah. there's a renewal surgical a renewal especially among young yeah. priests a uh, reform of the reform renewal and so you see right. the, the the spirit kind of planting all these seeds and they're slowly growing up so there's a lot of reasons to hope as well mm-hmm. you know and a, a generation yeah. of christians that's formed in a in a world that has more obvious crosses to us is going to be a holier generation. So I I think a lot of good fruit will be born from that. So yeah, things aren't as bad as you you might think they are. And I, this is,
0: uh, (laughs) I'm probably gonna make someone angry for this. Do it, do
1: it, do it.
0: (laughs) So here's the thing though. There is a, a lot of business though around decline.
1: There is a lot, but yeah, I know where you're going. With this keep going. I like it. <laughs> Let's both get in trouble. Do it. And I, I, I'm,
0: I'm hesitant. I'm not saying it's bad. Like it's not bad to have evangelization programs and stuff like this. Yeah. But often we're addressing this decline problem in both a gnostic and demogra- and techn- technocratic fashion. Yes. By this I mean we are often saying. If you don't fill up these categories of what it means to be converted to Jesus is in the church, then you're not a true disciple. Right. And so
1: you still need to be converted. Yes, because you haven't read my book that I'm selling. Or
0: or you haven't gone through our program that we're gonna set up, or these five ways that you can have an encounter with Jesus. Right. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of work going into people trying to counteract the client. But my experience is It doesn't really, like these programs often don't work. They don't do anything more than any other program or outreach method would do. They tend to be like flashes
1: in the pan. There might be like a little bit of a boom, but there's not, the the roots
0: don't grow deep. And they get. The thing is though, and I'm not saying like this is an intentional thing, but they will point to these stats to justify their business. Yeah. We, we can be, we can save you from this, this, this cliff that you're going to go down. Mm -hmm. Like I like so like I'll give you an example. Like like I guess like I I've been pondering this more and more because I, I was a bit more on the I guess you'd call it the intentional disciple side of things for a while, mm-hmm. and I've moved away from that a bit. I look at my parish every weekend, and there's 300 people there. Is it where I want it to be? No. There's 5,000 Catholics in town. Um, it could be a lot more, but those a were the biggest church in town, mm-hmm. and secondly. These people are coming every week for one reason or another, yeah. and that tells me something. If you're coming every week to mass, there's some form of discipleship there, absolutely. But the problem is, these people often are saying no; they don't have, they're not disciples.
1: Yeah. So I think these programs and stuff, you have to treat them as tools and not as idols. And you will mm-hmm. get like Catholics who like there's this there's like um, retreat program A, and they become mm-hmm. less. Catholic and more I'm a retreat program A person and everyone has to do this thing because I had a good experience of it. And that becomes dangerous. So I think there's definitely pruning that needs to be done on these little mm-hmm. these uh, trees that are springing up because there is good fruit yeah. and there are good tools but yep. we have to yep. remember that they're not everything and it's ultimately Jesus Christ who saves and renews and purifies yeah. his church. So, yep. uh, And that's part of what we kind of try to do here on the podcast is make sure we, we talk yeah. about Catholic things in a Catholic way as much as we're able to mm-hmm. and not to get bogged down in any kind of uh, gimmick spirituality because those tools yeah. can become a kind of gimmick spirituality and that won't last. Uh, so yeah. So there are good things happening but we have to keep pruning and watching and trusting in Christ I think in all this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. So I mean, we could do
0: a, I, we, we should could do, do a whole episode on that. Of that. Yeah, we, we should mm-hmm. actually actually I have an idea but we'll talk about it later.
1: Okay. So this is from Sister Helena Burns at Sister Helena Burns and she says, I have noticed that priests, despite all their crosses, who are generous and available and go the extra mile and really lay down their lives to the people, don't complain of loneliness. And I saw this tweet, and I kind of got a little cranky with it. Because okay. there's something to that, absolutely. you know, you, As a priest, especially as a diocesan priest, and that's where I'm coming from, that's where you're coming from, mm-hmm. is that your spirituality is very much tied to your people. And if you're not out mm-hmm. with your people, in their sorrows and joys, in their lives, preaching to them, helping them, listening to them, all of that, if you're not doing that, you're definitely gonna be a lonely person, absolutely. Yeah. But also, I've seen priests who, on the surface, are doing all that stuff, and then burn out and leave the priesthood as well. There'll be guys who you think, oh, they have it all together, and they're mm-hmm. doing really great in their parish, and everyone loves them, and you know, they, they do house blessings all this stuff, and yeah. you don't know what's going on behind all of those outward ministry sort of things. So, right.
0: Uh, there could be like an activism that hides, that is a way to kind of hide the loneliness. Right.
1: and there, Or the other issues that are going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And definitely, you know, as a priest, like just like anyone, you're going to experience loneliness because there's that kind of, we won't be fulfilled until we see God face to face in heaven. Yeah. And you don't know what's going on. Like you can be a very talented priest and do a lot of good things yeah. and still not have you might still have wounds that, that go unhealed or interior parts of your life that go unconverted. So you have to kind of watch out for this because I think a lot of priests yeah. who are doing all this stuff still suffer from a kind of loneliness. And it's not just because they're priests. It's not uh, It's not right. because of celibacy. It's because of something else that's going on. So yeah. uh, I just like, it's a good tweet. It, it has, it speaks a truth, but I, I'm hesitant to be like, you know, you're lonely just because you're maybe if because it is what you can do because like a priest who is working really hard and trying to sacrifice his life for his parish and still feels lonely because of other sort of reasons you can read that tweet and become kind of discouraged so i just kind of want to temper that because there is a, a good point to it but that's what i have to say
0: right and i think i think we could almost make it more subtle by putting a priest who authentically sure kids themselves well often maybe not experience or loneliness will not be a, as i don't know maybe it's different for every priest it really, it really is. is like i i read this because like you know people talk about celibacy and the issue around loneliness a lot and i don't know why like so when i was a seminarian loneliness was definitely a big thing yeah and when i was on internship especially because i didn't have the best internship experience with the pastor um I felt really alone there Mm -hmm. and it sucked. And I was just like, my gosh, if this is what it's going to be like, like, I don't know if I can do this, but you know, Christ kind of got me through it. And it's been a weird blessing for me. um, I'm an extrovert too, right? Like I'm, I need to be around people. I haven't had a day of loneliness in the priesthood ever. Mm -hmm. Now it's not to say like, and there's a difference between loneliness and feeling alone. Sure. By that, I mean like you're going to make decisions like as a pastor where you know it's not going to be popular well received etc so you're going to feel alone in that yeah. but you're not lonely mm-hmm. right if that makes sense so there there is that difference too um but i agree i think we have to be careful about um this whole like a guy can give of himself i would say this is this i'd say maybe this is probably an issue more for for newer priests where they're going to give of themselves And this is part of the purification of idealism Mm -hmm. for a young priest, which is an important thing to go through. Uh, They will give of themselves. They'll do what they think a holy priest should do. And they'll get very little response sometimes. And how you deal with that and answer to that is going to be very important going forward in your priesthood.
1: Yeah. And that's something that I'm just starting. It really feels like this is my third year. I'm in my fourth year of priesthood. And it's mm-hmm. only now that I'm feeling like, oh, I'm just starting to experience what priesthood really is. Because we have yeah. a difficult situation in our parish, and we're trying to lead people in a direction that some people don't want to go. And other yeah. parishioners are super excited and gung-ho and all for what we're doing. But that can yeah. be a difficult thing. And because I've been yeah. so busy, I haven't had a chance to like spend a lot of time with my close friends. And like I miss yeah. them. And I feel a little yeah. bit lonely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not like a huge, it's not like a vocation crisis for me, but like, yeah. I, you know, the last few weeks, I haven't had a chance to really, you know, um, talk about spiritual matters or pour out spiritual matters and just personal things mm-hmm. with good friends of mine who I can trust. And so yeah. I, there has been like in the last three weeks, a little bit of loneliness for me because I need to right. go right. out and do that. So that's right. just why I temper that sort of tweet with this Absolutely. discussion. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's end off on, on a lighter note. A lighter note.
0: Yes, this is from De- at De Vescio. Huh. I saw a guy at Starbucks today, no iPhone, no tablet, no laptop. He just sat there, drinking coffee, like a psychopath.
1: Yeah, that's horrifying. That's that is so
0: weird to me. <laughs> not not so much for me. I would throw in no book. Right, 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 exactly. Because <laughs> I often, if I go to a coffee shop, I'd bring like a book with me or something like that, or I'd go visit a friend. Mm-hmm. But it's it is interesting to think of, I don't know. But there's something to that. There are those times where I've had mornings where it was nicer out in the morning and it was war- warmer time of the year. I just sit outside in my, on the pe- the deck with a coffee and just sit there, drinking
1: my coffee. But nothing. Else. But here's the thing. This is what her- terrifies me: is that he's at a Starbucks. <laughs> That's not good coffee. Like if you're at some no, like like nice like. Uh, little local coffee shop and you're just enjoying good coffee. I get that, but what are you enjoying at Starbucks? Like, are you contemplating the your Frappuccino? Like, what the heck is wrong kinda, with this person?
0: I kinda like their Frappuccinos. Yeah,
1: Frappuccinos are milkshakes are not coffee. Of course they're delicious, but it's different. That's fine, I still like them. Fine, whatever, it's just weird. Like, I would stay away from that person. They're plotting something terrible. They're plotting the downfall of the Catholic <laughs> Church. If you're at Starbucks alone drinking coffee, that is, not, that is not a good spiritual place to be in. That's my opinion. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so we're at a, we have a dilemma here. A dilemma. You
0: have a dilemma. Oh, no. We're going to talk about a movie. <gasps> a movie. What does that fall under? Ooh, I don't know. I think it's. Would it guess presbyteral exhortations? Presbyteral? Unless. Do what? Here's the thing. We're going to talk about The Exorcist here in a second, folks. Yeah. And we're going to leave it up to Nick. If he wants to do a new bumper or not. He may be too busy and that's fine. Right. We'll find out. It it'll be a surprise to you and me as well. Right. Do you think this Like would, when we got the index bumper? Would this fall under the index as a consumable media thing? No, because um movies were never condemned.
1: Really? Well they were there weren't
0: movies when the index was around. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was. Was there? 'Cause it got it got what was it wasn't in the fifties or sixties it got nixed? I guess so. But the index is about publishable material were uh, against the faith, so Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. Let's just find out. Movie time. Movie time. Get your
1: popcorn, get your soda, get your absolution, especially if it's rated R. It's now time for this week's Magisterial
0: Movie Review. All right. So uh, I, I, I dropped it on the podcast a few weeks ago. We were talking and I said to Father Anthony,
1: we should we should do this for an episode. Mm hmm. What was your reaction when I suggested this? Revulsion. Right. I did not care for that. Because I remember watching this movie when I was younger and being scared to death about it. Absolutely. But also, I am a podcaster. Everything is content. Content is king. And it was a good idea. So, I said my prayers. I meditated about it. (laughs) I said, you know what? It's time to make a sacrifice. And I watched the movie. And I will say this. When I was watching it it at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Looking at it through a theological and historical lens, not so yeah. scary. And I totally get what it's actually a really good movie. Yeah. And the scary parts are there, not just to spook you, but they actually advance the plot and they, they are, they're they pointing at yeah. a spiritual progression or degression, depending on how you look at it, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, this is actually a really good film. So yeah. I'm excited to talk about
0: it. So yeah, I saw this, I think, I want to say it was in 2005 when I first saw it. And yeah, the first time I saw it, I slept with the lights on for a week. Real quick, do you remember the scare? What was the scariest moment for you? This is the thing. There is no really terrifying moment. There is for me. Oh, okay. This is one of my points about the film. It's actually not a horror film. it's a suspense film Mm. or thriller, right? Because, or it's horror, but it's not your your traditional form of horror. Because you don't actually really you don't see the evil directly right there's not there's not there's a couple there's a couple kind of shock moments of like the flash on the on the oven pan Mm -hmm. on top the fan on top of the oven or whatever right little things like that but they're not it's not uh it's the underlying evil that's present is so real yeah right that's the terrifying thing like um this is why i this is why i think it's it's
1: it's where where did i put it um but what what was was there a moment oh. that spooked you the most? There's straight up no. Spo- okay, so I'm just gonna no. share mine. The one that was like ingrained in my brain and was was horrifying to me and haunted me at night was when yeah. Reagan does the backwards crab walk down the stairs. Yeah. Something about seeing that was so eerie and so messed up that that's that's the horrifying image <laughs> that's stuck right. in my brain. But
0: yeah, no, yeah, and I I mean those things are are disturbing, mm. but it's not like but it's not. um it's not like watching a horror movie where the serial killer is behind the door and you're shocked or they give you a they give you a false thing. They open the door and they're actually behind them or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, those that's not the type of horror film this is. It's it's. I think this what's so terrifying about this film is. It's a film that recognizes the reality of evil and we are confronted with that real reality and that we actually have no control over this reality. That's what's terrifying about it, right? It portrays um, we are powerless in front of it, and the whole point of the film is that true evil can only be overcome by God.
1: Yes, and I think I think right. the point you're trying to make is that yeah. it doesn't. The movie isn't trying to spook you for the sake of spooking you. Mm-hmm. It's telling a story. Whereas a mm-hmm. lot of like, you know, cheap horror flicks are trying just to get as many scares from the people. That's the goal of the movie is just to scare exactly. you. Where this is, there's a message that's being trying – a yeah. story that's trying to be told. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, we want to talk about the film. And um, so, what's the point of this film? And this is something – so, I watched – it actually, I woke up – no, I went to bed early last night. I was just going to kind of talk about it because I've seen it enough times. I didn't need to see it again. Uh, but I woke up early enough this morning. I was able to watch it this morning. Let's give and let's give a,
1: a quick synopsis of just okay. what happens.
0: So uh, it starts it starts in Iraq uh, where Father Marin is doing some archaeological digs and 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 then it kind of switches us off to D.C. to the Georgetown campus where there's a movie being filmed and it's all about uh, this girl Reagan and her mother Chris and how she suddenly starts getting sick mentally. Mm-hmm. And the progression of this. That's one part of the story. The other part of the story is Father Damien. Right? Where he he's he starts off the film really with this whole doubting sense of faith and everything like this. And and his encounters with his mother and his whether he should be a priest or not. And they kind of come together because none of the psychologists can give an answer for Reagan. And so father Damien kind of intervenes as a psychologist and then eventually as a priest and slowly brings the church in. And then, uh, Max von Sitto, whose father Marin is, comes in with his awesomeness. Yeah. And, and the movie ends with the girl, uh, being freed of the possession Father Damien uh, take asks the demon to come into him, which we'll talk about more later, and then jumps out a window and receives final absolution though before he dies. Yes, and that's that's the that's a rough synopsis of the film. Good. Yeah. All right. So, but this is I I, I was really struck I, every time I watch the opening of the film. I'm struck by it more and more mm-hmm. at, at the um. There, he's talking to one, I guess the archaeologist, one of the archeologists who was in Iraq and he goes, I'm so We're so sad to see you go father. And he goes, there is something I must do. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this whole, there's this whole mission that father Marin is set on. And the idea is because when you read the book, which is very close to me because uh, William Blately wrote the book and produced the film. Um, there is this real sense that he, he he's encountered this demon before.
1: Right, so he did like one exorcism, the movie says, like 14 years ago, and they say it nearly killed him. So he's done an exorcism Mm -hmm. before, and when he's doing this archaeological dig, he finds a medal of St. Joseph, Yeah, and it's placed there. It doesn't belong to the same time period, and something about seeing this medal kind of clicks in his brain, and there seems to be some sort of spiritual message that's given to him that he knows interiorly he has to go back to America because there's something he has to do.
0: And I was really, I was really touched by that this time. Like in a way I've not been touched by it before this strong theme of mission, yeah. right? Like that. So I'm big in, 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 this idea of theology, that your mission is your identity, mm. right? What you go to do is who you are. Not like, not that I claim my identity through the things I choose to do, but rather I'm given a mission. And in that mission, I find the fulfillment of what I'm created for. And I think that's that moment for father Marin. He, 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 he recognizes I have to go to save someone, mm-hmm. essentially, from from this demon. The thing is, though, and this is the really beautiful thing about the film. He, every time I thought, I really I thought it was all about Reagan. It's not. It's not. The movie's about Father Damien.
1: And he really goes, and he, he saves Father Damien.
0: Yes. And, uh, yeah, we'll go into that to the end, because I was really, like, once I recognized that this time, that whole final scene with the exorcism... Mm-hmm you see the progression of his faith yeah in those moments from still not sure and fearful to strong and and so anyway so father marion's whole thing is is to go he is he is to go to wrestle back a part of creation back for god mm-hmm. right so that's the first part of the film. So then, um, the next part is then we see this. Then we then, so you have this like desert place. And you go to Washington D.C., D. Georgetown, all this nice stuff, uh, filming a film, and you see like what I was really struck by by the, the the loveliness of the home. Yeah, like the good relationship between mother and daughter, the joyfulness of the girl of Reagan. Uh, like everything seems to be okay, and I think this is done on purpose to uh, to help us understand that things always will seem normal at first with the devil
1: right and here's the thing like they're good people they're not bad people they have a loving relationship they have woundedness in the family because the father mm. isn't a part of it and you see parts of that but there is no faith in the home right absolutely none right. so they're not bad yeah. people but they don't have faith and because they right. don't have this that's how reagan begins to get in trouble Mm-hmm. now
0: yeah so before we go into how she gets into trouble mm-hmm. then it cuts to father damien right yeah uh and there's really like again uh, they did a, such a great job of really portraying the mood of each person. Mm-hmm. There's a brightness, a lightness to the home. But then there's like a very depressive quality to Father Damien. Yeah. Like his time on the subway. He sees that poor man uh, begging for, for for money on the subway. And there's like this fear in his eyes. Right. When he sees the poor man. Like he's fearful of his identity as a priest. He's fearful of this poor man himself because in the poor there is Christ and the neighborhood his mother lives in, everything, everything just speaks of the failure, of failure mm-hmm. essentially, and of depression. And it's really meant to hold to portray uh, this idea that he has doubts. So like he uses, for example, like, he uses like he's meeting with one of these priests in the bar. He's talking about how he uses his mother as an excuse. Like I should have, I should have, I should have just stayed home with her and looked after her. He feels he can't give people answers that he's not fit to be a priest. That he's lost his faith. And even his uncle goes after him because his mother's put into a mental institution. And he goes, you know, you could have been a famous psychologist.
1: Right. You could be making and t- you tons could, of money.
0: Yeah. You could have been making tons of money and looked after your mother. Right. And which is an attack on like the, the other. I'd say the other strong theme of this film is not just in it. It's not just about Father Damien. It's about the. I really came away with it's an, how the devil's trying to attack the priesthood.
1: Right. Because there's all these, like, you could be doing better work if you weren't a priest. You could be a better psychologist if you weren't a priest. Or it it shows he uh, is kind of a boxer. Like, you could have been a successful boxer if you were a priest. Yeah. And you can't fix people because you don't have the faith and you're being worn down by your job. And when you're just becoming a functionary priest without the faith, more and more... Your ministry suffers more and more, and he feels like he can't help people. He knows that. So mm-hmm. it's a really realistic depiction of a priest mm-hmm. who's struggling with his faith.
0: Yeah. And I was also really struck, struck by his uncle's Italian guilt that he was throwing towards his son.
1: Oh, yeah. There's tons right. of to that. <laughs> well, this idea. Well, this, is,
0: well, this is the thing. Like, it's, like for strong families or strong cultures that have strong senses of family, like Italian culture and Filipino cultures and stuff like this, Family is actually first. It actually even can hold a place above God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Right? That's, that's, a, yes. That's a temptation for sure.
0: So, anyway. So then now we get into the inn. So, what is the inn in the film? What is, what is the inn for Reagan for the devil? Because this is an important point for, 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 for things around possession.
1: Right. So she's, uh, they, they, they occupy this house in, in DC and it was somebody else's house. There's a bunch of like old possessions from the old house and yeah. she finds a Ouija board. Yeah. and it's very interesting because it's very accurate to how this stuff sort of works so she plays with it she tells her mother she plays with it all the time by herself and what's the name of like the, the, the thing she talks to through the Ouija board it's like Captain Captain Howdy Captain Howdy so Captain Howdy answers her questions that she asks on the Ouija board and she yeah. talks to him all the time And this is really accurate because a lot of times, um, the enemy will present itself to a person as something friendly, something you can talk to. So the angel of light, an angel of light, a a captain howdy, so that it can begin to form a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And very early on the movie, you see there's a relationship formed immediately through this, just playing with a Ouija board by yourself all the time. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's also important. So this is a, this is why I've never liked, uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, Mm -hmm. Theology, de- the devil cannot take us over without our permission. Yeah. There has to be some form of it. It may not be always a knowing, a complete knowing. Right. But there ha- th- like you said, there has to be a relationship established and where they propose something and we say yes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he can't get in right. because the devil cannot overtake our freedom. Yes. And this is a really important point. And the exorcism of really rose. This doesn't happen. There is no in. Yeah. And I've never, it's always been a theological point that I've, I've never quite liked or at another. Yeah. So just as a little side folks, this is the only good exorcism film out there. Okay. There's the right is terrible, atrocious <laughs> laughing stock. In my opinion, yeah. it is so horrible on so many levels. The book is great, but, but the but the movie that they made out of that book is just terrible. Actually, some of the was okay, but it's just it's missing this part. This is the key thing. There needs to be an in. Yeah. So where would you say things start to change? Did you notice like there's a real distinctive point in the film where the attitude of the house changes?
1: Oh, uh, did watching, you notice that? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of it like because it seems to get progressively worse. I right. think she gets like a normal sort of checkup and then there are things that are going wrong. She starts right. to like kind of act out. And, yep. uh, and then more and more they go through more and more right. um, medical procedures that don't seem yeah. to be helping. Um, but so what, what think of it out. before that. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, maybe with the uh, – oh, there's the phone call. So it's Reagan's yes. birthday, right? Yes, It's exactly. her birthday. She still loves her dad, but there's definitely conflict between her and the mother. The mother cannot get a hold of the father and she's just screaming into the phone. And yeah. so it's, and then you see Reagan's listening to the whole conversation. So she yeah. feels that woundedness in her yeah. family. And this is something yeah. that also will happen that a lot of times the enemy is looking for weak spots in our souls. And a lot of times those weak spots are around family wounds and he'll try yeah. to like, I can fix this. I can be your friend. I can fulfill yeah. this sort of thing. So it doesn't show that, you know, necessarily that that's what happens, but you can kind of extrapolate from that, that there's that kind of natural woundedness as well, spiritual woundedness as well that can create yeah. Gives more of an in.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the thing think that, again, there's that dichotomy between the love that they had beforehand. And now there's like this real anger. Plus, one could use that whole scene as a psychological justification for what she does. Yeah. Her, 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 it becomes an acting out, a, a sign for attention and love. And so it also, it. while I think the book does it a little bit better in terms of the subtlety of the expressions of possession to always so a bit of a doubt um this is the idea it's this is all psychologically justifiable um and but this is the other thing there's and this is why the devil the the demon is not just there with the ouija board Mm -hmm. right the film starts off with the noises in the attic right right so it's a sign like the attack is really like while it's focused on reagan it's really over the whole household right which means it it existed there prior to their arriving there. So it'd be interesting to find out what happened that an obsession could come there in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's possession, but there was also an obsession, like with those noises in the eye. And island. there's also something but,
1: wrong in the community because there's yeah. that desecration in the church as well.
0: Yeah. So there's attacks
1: yeah. on multiple levels, but Reagan ends up being kind of the weak point for this.
0: And and the uh, the cop finds a statue of the demon at the bottom of the stairs yeah. where Burke dies, right? So there's this there's this occult side that's not outspoken but it's just kind of hovering over the whole film. Mm-hmm. But the other interesting thing, like this is the other interesting point, I like that he I like that Blatley uses this scene of Chris yelling on the phone to the operator because it also should this is the whole point too. We always look to this extraordinary stuff around possessions and obsession. Mm-hmm. It's always a spiritual attack first. Yeah. When he, if it's coming out um physically, it's because the devil has another reason he needs to do things. But like he's really there to, to destroy things. Like he's really trying to destroy the soul. Mm-hmm. He wants that cause that's where his power really lies. That's where he really wants to destroy. So what did you think about the whole theme of like the dichotomy between the psychological and the spiritual in the film?
1: I thought it was accurate uh, because a lot of times one, it can be difficult to distinguish between psychological realities and spiritual realities at times, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, also, you know, I've talked to people who kind of work in, in the ministry and they'll often say that um, if if the person is full on possessed, you know, if the person is really full on possessed, uh, a good exorcist can kind of tell right away. But the problem mm-hmm. is that they still have to do all for for to be honest, for legal reasons, this person has to go through all these psychological evaluations, and that can be a very painful time for the person. Right. Right. Yeah. And you see that you see she going yeah. through like more and more. And also like medicine in the 70s, (laughs) a little more brutal than it is now. And they they picked that. So she suffers through all of this. So if you are suffering from a spiritual ailment and then you're suffering from these medical procedures, it gives the person, the demon, an opportunity to be like, I can make all this go away if you say yes to this. right?" Mm -hmm. And so there's more and more opportunities for deeper and deeper influence and the giving away of your own will and this sort of thing. So that part... Made a lot of sense, um, and also like so the psych. I mean, so there is this dichotomy that um, it's almost like the psychological is bad, and the spiritual right. is good, and so we have taken more of a nuanced view of that. Well, I don't know if it's saying psychological bad, but I think it definitely is trying
0: to sh- throw a sharp critique at always using psychology as a healing method only.
1: Right, right. It, it shows the problem of a materialistic outlook exactly. on life and yeah. that's yeah. that's definitely critique yes. and that's definitely fair yeah. i mean like look at the end right these
0: they've he's in a room with psychologists yeah and the last thing that the the guy can think of well maybe we can get a priest to do an exorcism
1: yeah and it won't work because of the <laughs> spiritual it, things it'll work because of psychological yeah. things
0: exactly yeah. right and so like it's it, it sh- like and this is i think the, there's a sub-critique of like a scientism there mm-hmm. which says Everything is always able to be justified through purely scientific methods. And and the whole point of the film is to say, no, there is other... Yeah. It's not wrong. These aren't bad things, but they're not the only thing. And that's and Father Damien is the character study in this. Because he went to Harvard. He went to John Hopkins. Like He is... Apparently, he's like a cream of the cop, crop. Yeah. In terms of... In the realm of psychology and psychiatry. He is the best of the best. And... I think the reason his, while it's never really said, I think the reason his faith gets narrowed is he looks through such a scientific lens that science, when it became an ideology and the church maybe was a little too embracing of the ideology as it is without a critique towards it, it narrowed the ability for faith to actually speak through to that. That there should be like a symbiosis between the two. Rather than an emphasis on the one where the other gets narrowed, mm-hmm. and Father Damien's the type of character where it gets narrowed, it's like the whole movie is really a fascinating study in the like as a whole microcosm of the church in the seventies
1: yeah I think histo- that's one part I really appreciated it that's a really yeah. good historical picture of where the church was, so yeah. now when we think of you're just commonly speaking when we think of yeah. traditional priests or Orthodox priests, mm-hmm. a lot of times what people go to immediately, whether it's fair or not, is oh, the young priest wears the cassock. The young priest likes the older yeah. rites. Um and there's some truth to that for sure. Um yeah. but in this it's you know kind of the the young priest brought up right after um some of the chaos after the council who doesn't believe mm-hmm. these things right? Yep. And there's not exorcism ministry in the diocese. It's almost like this lost kind of right. And that's where the church mm-hmm. was until maybe like 20 yeah. years ago, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. you know, It's yeah. only with uh, John Paul II saying, hey, you have to have exorcists in your diocese that this stuff yeah. started coming back. And the ministry yeah. started coming back. So the fact yeah. that uh, it's so great, because Damien, he kind of knows, okay, there needs to be speaking of different languages, but I don't know what the other signs are. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right, so it's it's really accurate depiction. Um, but yeah. what's interesting? What's interesting is I think he goes. Does he go to his superior or does he go to a bishop? When he, he goes to the bishop, probably the archbishop of Washington, I would guess. Yeah. Or whatever that would be. And there... he kisses a ring, right? Yeah, he kisses a ring. Um, so. Which also, I'm pretty sure that never happens in the church anymore. <laughs> I no. just thought that was very, It's very cute. The bishop extends his hand. Well, no, but I think actually that shows you like,
0: we, we, we kind of complain about the church in the seventies. Things really actually took a turn in the eighties because he's wearing like an Amos. Did you notice that? Yeah. He's wearing an Amos at mass. Mm-hmm. They're getting cassocks and, and stuff and surpluses for like these things aren't foreign to them. Yeah. They're wearing their collars everywhere. Yeah. These, so these, these churchy things that we, we, we think are important. So it, it's still a time of transition. All right. Right. In, in many ways, which is, which is, and so I would say a lot of those ecclesial things, like the kissing of a bishop's ring and stuff like that, these are still holdovers. Uh, like the time, to- it's still the time of transition. That's why I found it like an interesting microcosm that way, too.
1: Right. But the discussion with the bishop, yeah. it sounds so yeah. similar to a lot of other stories I've heard that the right. bishop is open to, okay, there needs to be an exorcism, but who do we pick? Because we don't have right. an exorcist. And yeah. so it's unfortunate, but they just pick a guy who's done one exorcism before. And yeah. I think you see there are mistakes that are made. Uh, in the exorcism and I think that it happens because there's not the familiarity with how the right is supposed to be done and the precautions you're supposed to take and you see the consequences of that in the actual exorcism right right which I thought was yeah yeah. I don't know if you want to get into that now or where you're going next
0: yeah so well uh, before we get into that I think it's a good idea to um, talk a little bit about his so a couple two quick little interesting tidbits about the film that you might not know first the priest who's playing the piano Father Dyer Dyer, yeah He's actually a Jesuit priest. Yeah. Yeah, he's a real Jesuit. No, like oh, in real life. Oh, Yeah, fine. in real life. Yes, yes. So I think that's, like, so it's very beautiful at the end of the film that it's him who Reagan kisses. So it's, Aww, an, it's an appreciation yeah. of the real priesthood, right? Yeah. Not just an actor playing a priest, but of the real priesthood. Um, the other thing is there's that scene where Karis is in, a, or a Damien, yeah, Damien is in his room listening to a recording. He's listening to the backward stuff, and then there's some others chatter with it as well. Yeah. So this book, first it's a book, then it's a movie, was written, and well, uh, William Blatley researched an exorcism case in the 1920s from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And that recording in that scene is from the actual exorcism from St. Louis. I did not know that. That's fun. Which is kind of, which it's also kind of creepy. Yeah, you know? yeah. But yeah, so there's those little interesting tie-ins. But I think it's important to talk about Damien's encounters before the actual scene of exorcism
1: before we do that I want to make one thing is there something I've seen on the Twitters and on the internet a little bit where people are like saying hey you can listen to a recording of a demon on YouTube yeah no that's not good don't do that this shouldn't be done for funsies so just as a quick disclaimer don't go looking up demon sounds on the computer that's dumb okay keep going all right so his first encounter he goes in in
0: in cities right he's yes
1: because he's taking like a walk or something
0: yeah uh, and the demon asks him to undo the straps, mm-hmm. right? And Car- and Damien says, uh, you can, why don't, if you're, if you're really, if you're really as powerful as you say you are, you could do it yourself. And I love this line. The demon says that is much too vulgar a display of power. Karis.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing. Like the demon is constantly trying to trick him. And you also see the yeah. pride of the demon. So yes. when Kara says, Hey, how about you do this thing? Right, he's trying to like prove that the demon can't do it. But the demon's yeah. not gonna listen to him because he yeah. doesn't have the the rights or the authority to do an exorcism right now. The demon right. doesn't need to respond to him. So he's not gonna do what this human being says he needs to do. He's just playing around with him. So yeah, he's just exactly. messing with him. And it's And and he yeah. even messes with him when he goes in as a priest before the exorcism, right? Yeah.
0: He blesses or he it's not actually holy water, we find out it's just it's just regular water. Yeah. But again, I think that's the demon's way of playing with him.
1: Right, because the demon does not want an exorcism. He definitely doesn't want it. So that's why he taunts him, saying, Oh, yeah, I would love an exorcism. He's trying. And then he uh, normally the rejection of a holy water is a sign that there's something going on there. But he reacts, the demon reacts to regular water to throw off Damien again. So he's constantly more clever and messing with Damien at the beginning. Well, but not all the time.
0: Like at the beginning too, uh, Caris catches the devil in a lie when he says your he says your mother is in here with us. And notice how he always says us, right, right. Um, so that us, you know, Damien talks later on with Father Marin about how there's he he notices three personalities, and Father Marin's like there's only one. Mm-hmm. But this is this idea of like uh, it's an un- the devil's an unperson, yeah, right. So it can never say I. Mm-hmm. It says but. Then Karen uh, Damian asks um, the demon his mother's maiden name. And so you can see this, uh, you see the skepticism, and the demon never actually gives the answer. If he, and I think it's actually a sign that his that it was a lie. It was a trick. His mother actually isn't in hell.
1: Right. I think it's definitely like the mother being in hell is definitely just to mess with him. But I think yeah. when. Th- my my interpretation was when the demon's giving wrong answers or not incomplete answers, yeah. he's really trying to convince Damien that this is just a weird psychological thing. So yeah. I think it, it could be either. And that's why it's open for interpretation. Yeah. And that's why I think it's pretty exactly. accurate, too. You know?
0: Yeah. And then uh, the second time when, when Damien's in there, he's, the demon says to him, what an excellent day for an exorcism. It'll bring us together. Yeah. You and Reagan, Damien replies. He goes, you and us. Yeah. So, again, it shows you his whole mission is not for Reagan. Mm-hmm. It's to get to
1: Damien. It's to mess with the priest. He wants to mess with the priest. And um, and do you remember so hearing then- in the uh, in that recording, there's a, there's a bunch of voices going on in that recording, but one of them yeah. is like it panicked, it's a priest, it's the priest. And there's yeah. always a sort of panic when a priest enters the room. And anyone who works in the ministry will tell you this. A lot of yeah. times, so the depiction of the exorcism is kind of like this battle between Good and evil. Who's gonna win? But yeah. uh, my buddy, uh, who who works in this a little bit more, says it's more like the priest walks into the room and just body slams the demon over and over and over again. It's a much more <laughs> one-sided thing in actual. I mean, it's still like terrifying, and the yeah. demons try and freak you out. But like, it's really the demons are terrified of the anointed hands of the priest and the authority that he has yeah. because when they see the priest, they see Christ, because that's who the priest yeah. is ultimately. So
0: yeah. So now, they, now let's bring it, I guess, to the actual exorcism scene here because we're, we're going on for a while here. There's just so much interesting yeah. stuff in this film. Yeah. Um, and I love this. Uh, Damien says to Maren, do you want to hear the background of the case first, Father? And and <laughs> Maren says, why?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think there's two things going on here. One, he, he knows what's going on. But also, yeah. I think because in the beginning of the movie, he, he kind of gets a supernatural knowledge of what is going on and what needs to happen. Yeah. So he goes to work right away. So I think those are two things that are going on. That he's yeah. like, I know this isn't psychological, but also yeah. he knows in an interior way that this is his mission right now.
0: Exactly. So and then before they start, as they're vesting, he gives Damien some instructions. He says, avoid conversation with the demon. Correct. He is a liar, and he'll want to confuse us. He'll mix lies with truth in order to attack us. Do not listen to him. And again, that whole idea of there's just one personality Mm -hmm. at play here. So, uh, and that's always an important thing. And I think that's actually a great spiritual tip, not just in the realm of an exorcism, but just in general. Yeah. Stop dialoguing with sin, dang it. It's true. It's true. (laughs) So it's just a great, anyways, uh, and, and I think this shows you the how well researched the film was like it just it's authentically Catholic in terms of how it talks about these things and let's just be honest there is nothing more awesome than Max von Siddow, uh reciting the prayers of exorcism with it is those cool. rolled r's like that traditional english uh, english shakespearean training yeah
1: i was like yeah man just bring it this is awesome it's fun because he's he's physically weak because he's sick yeah but spiritually he's so strong and the way he's yeah. saying those prayers it's with utter confidence in the in the power yeah. of christ so that was cool so yeah that's the thing so so father marin
0: has a complete confidence the entire time he does he, he gets spat up on and he doesn't uh
1: doesn't flinch. Uh, he just takes off his glasses and wipes them as he's continuing the prayers.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? But Damien's different. Oh, yeah. At the beginning, he's afraid. He's rushing through the prayers. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's hesitant. Like, you can see... Like, and I think it's because he's facing something unknown. But I, for me, the, the switch happens when the bed levitates.
1: Yeah, then he re- kind of realizes, oh, this is real.
0: And then there's, like, the, f- the look of fear disappears from his face. And then there's like instead, it's a look of intensity. Yeah. And like the amen he gives there, it's like it's it, it comes from a place of confidence now. Amen. Not like amen, right? There's no fear in his voice anymore. Sudden, like this is like the turning place of faith, and now he becomes a participant in the form of the exorcism. Uh.
1: So, yeah. And this goes to the question of why would God allow this? Yeah. And part of that is a mystery. It really is. But part of it, you yeah. can see that. God allows this to convert Damien.
0: Exactly. So this is the whole point. The whole point is Damien's salvation.
1: Now afterwards, he falters a little bit. He does. Because the demon starts doing stuff, messing with his mind with his mom. Yeah.
0: And And playing on all those old fears and doubts. Exactly, and this is the thing. This is why it's like the physical stuff doesn't really matter. It's all about spiritual attack, because that's that's the heart of our identity. I mean, even Father Damien kind of gives word to uh, word to this. He goes, "Why this girl? It doesn't make sense." And Father Marin says, "The point is to make us despair. Yeah, to see ourselves as animals and ugly, to reject the possibility that God could love us. This is why. This is why it's happening. Yeah, Um, such good line." it was just such a great line and it it's so true. And I think there's something about the image of a child too, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus' teachings that you must become like this child, etc. cetera. Um, this, is all, this is all there. But the whole, the whole movie really is about this one scene, right?
1: But I think there's another moment when you talked about yeah. mission. So they yeah. take a break because they're exhausted. Yes. And uh, the, the older priest, he kind of sees Damien faltering at the end. He's not responding because he's freaked out about the whole mother thing, all his doubts. It's working on Damien. So he goes in by himself, which as a side note, you should never do. Like, yeah, an exorcist will have other people there, sometimes just to hold the person down, other people praying, other people in the room. Okay. And that's, you know, causes problems. But also he's alone and the mother comes up to Damien and says, is Reagan, is she going to die? And there's this switch in his brain and he says, no. And he goes upstairs because now he's like he's being a priest. He's going to save this other person. And he's no longer afraid. His doubts don't matter because he's giving his life for someone else. He becomes who he's supposed to be, a priest who sacrifices.
0: Exactly. And so this is where it gets. So he comes into the room and he sees Father Marin's dead. Yeah. And the demon has broken its bonds. And it's in the corner laughing maniacally, et cetera, and, and being whatnot. And I... And this is where Father Damien... This is why it's not... You're right. It's not perfect. He slips. Yeah. He gets angry because this priest, Father Mary, is really the one who saves him. Mm-hmm. Right? And this priest, this man, who he's only known for an hour, is the, his hero. And now he, he sees that the demons killed him. Maybe not directly. Right. You know, but the heart attack or whatever. Or he's brought about a condition that his heart attack goes, whatever. We don't know. Yeah. He's angry. And he starts literally beating on Reagan And it's like oh my gosh yes. But you can understand that That anger And this And the heart And But he wants this girl To not be the victim anymore either mm-hmm. He's just tired of this demon And so he says And this is again It's important He says come in me
1: mm-hmm.
0: But this is what's beautiful It's a. It's the wrong Never say that Never That is a bad this idea This is not how
1: exorcisms work You do not do that right.
0: And the demon listens
1: Right? Because right. he has a willing...
0: It's like the demons with the swine, right? Right. Uh, well, and, this is, and this is the thing. This is what his whole mission was for. It was to get this priest. He's letting us in. This is great. The problem is it's a misjudgment by the demon mm-hmm. because, okay, Father Damien says this, but he recognizes he was wrong. And he screams like, you see it, like you see in the face with the effects, the demon starting to take over. Yeah. And he screams, no, and he comes back to himself and he jumps out the window. Right, because he sees that this demon wants to now kill Reagan, mm-hmm. and he can't let that happen. He loves this girl, and so his love overcomes him to the point that this is why it's not suicide. Because that's what a lot of people ask about this: mm-hmm. like, is it the suicide? No, it's self it's defense of Reagan. Yeah, he's throwing himself out the window so he can protect Reagan. And then at the end, Father Dwyer runs by him. He gives him absolution before he dies. And it's it's his salvation.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. That's why it's a victory. So, there's a few things. One, I really like this process of Damien's conversion because it has ups and downs. It's a short short scene-wise in the movie, but he has ups and downs. He believes, but then he doubts because of the demon. He makes this mistake at the end of saying, come into me, right? It's good intentions, but it's the wrong thing to do. And he has this final opportunity to allow himself to be redeemed and in that moment he's not like trying to kill himself he's trying to save Reagan in this like desperate super intense sort of moment so it's not a suicide and the reason why it's a victory is at the very end that scene with he gets absolution and it reminds us that that's the goal of all this life is to be with Christ in heaven Right. So yeah. even though this is a really intense, super intense, focused story, you know, it isn't how most of us are converted or anything. It's a reminder that the eternal is, is the goal. Mm-hmm. And so God will allow these crazy things to happen to Damien because his soul is that important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So a few things about this film in general. Um, one is just simply, like a lot of people complain about the Hollywoodization of, of the Possession. But okay, maybe you wouldn't see all those things at once, but there have been documented cases about excessive turning of necks, of all those things, right? Yeah. So it actually isn't as Hollywoodized as people think it is. It's just- Compressed. A lot of it's used. Yeah. It's compressed, right? But here's the other thing. like People would even say, well, the room is shaking. The ceiling's cracking. I'm like, "Yeah, buddy, the prince of this world, mm-hmm. this is his house, literally. Um, so of course it's going to shake. hmm like I was watching, I'm like, yeah, though this actually isn't, this isn't some dramatic thing to get, a, this actually, this would be, this could happen. Mm-hmm. This could happen. It could shake the walls. I mean, he can shake the bed because this is his world. And, and, and it's a, it's a microcosm of what the, um, it's a microcosm of what Christ comes to do, which is to wrestle this whole world for himself, yeah. for himself. And this priest is participating in this. The other thing about this film that I found very Intense, like we talked about earlier, it's really also about the devil's attack on priesthood. And uh, I hate always bringing up the abuse crisis over and over again, but I couldn't help but see how prophetic this film was. Yeah, about the devil's attack on priesthood. Mm-hmm. It was something that William Blately really, really saw himself, and really. So this movie is really a foreshadowing of of the things to come for the church. Mm um in a very dramatic way absolutely but at the same time how beautiful it is that someone who could be falling away from their priesthood can come back and that's the thing he really lived his priesthood like this is the great he literally lays down his life for someone Like it is real priesthood it is priesthood to its fullest extent possible and what a powerful compelling story it is um so those, I, I got a lot more to say. That's all I got to say for now.
1: I think it's pretty good. I think we did a good job with the movie. So uh, yeah, yeah. And anything
0: I, you, any other any points you had?
1: Just looking through like the lens of that theological, historical lens, really made me appreciate the movie. It's it's very well done. So yeah, uh, if you want to yeah. see, it, I think it's worth seeing. Uh, I would see it in the middle of the day, though. Don't don't don't, okay, don't exactly. freak yourself out. But yeah, uh, I'll still freak you out during the day. But that's the thing. Again,
0: just remember, this is it, the reason it's scary is because real evil is actually terrifying. Yeah. And it should be. And it, and in a way, it can also be a, a way to waken you up from uh, maybe, you know, uh, to see sin is real. and We got to fight it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to fight it. Awesome. Cool. Well, we went on really long with that one. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those fun places. Please leave a review. And please tell your friends about the, con- the podcast and your enemies, too, because Jesus said you must love your enemies you can find me on twitter at fr harrison you can find me at father sharappa you can the podcast is at clerical pod you can email us clerical at gmail.com we're also on facebook as well uh, come by and say hi and we'll talk to you all soon god bless peace